Amen. Thank you, Brother Terry. Little is much if God is in it. Message in that song. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I shared with you last week that we're going to be focusing on soul winning. And uh, tonight, I'm going to be... Uh, going to be sharing during discipleship training, the first session of soul winning training, and let me encourage you to be here tonight. Uh, been praying for this service this morning, but also tonight, that God will produce um, uh, soul winners here at Mountain View Baptist Church. And so be praying about uh, what God would have you and how God would have you to respond to this message this morning. Going to be sharing a message I've entitled Motivation for Personal Soul Winning. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had now to worship you. And now as we come to this part and open your word, Father, I know you've called all of us to be soul winners. And I, I pray in today's message, Father, you'll speak to our hearts as you use Paul as an example and what motivated him to be a soul winner. Lord, should also motivate us to win souls to you. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take control of our service. Lord, give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. And then, Father, at the appropriate time, as people come and respond and commit in themselves, Lord, to be soul winners, I pray for those here today without you as their Lord and Savior of their life, that they'll be willing to, to commit to you today, to give their life to you today as they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and died on the cross, was buried, he arose again, and they come and they give their life, their total being to you, to follow you. Thank you for what you're going to do in our time of service today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought that the achievements that you make in life are direct results of your motivation? Your motivation causes you to be whatever you end up being in life. Whatever your occupation is, to be the best in that occupation, that field, you're motivated by certain things in your life to be the best. I'm reminded what Adrian Rogers shared one time years ago. He told about a young boy going through the woods, a young man going through the woods and and all of a sudden he hears a growl behind him and he looked around and there was a big grizzly bear running toward him. And so he starts running from that grizzly bear. It was getting closer and closer and closer, so close he could almost feel the heat from the breath of that grizzly bear. And he didn't know, how, he said, this, this looked like a hopeless situation. And he was going to be devoured by that bear and he began to pray God he said God just provide a way for me to escape this or I'm going to be devoured by this grizzly and he looked up ahead and there was this branch hanging out over the path but it was about 15 foot high and he said man there's no way I can jump that high and so he kept running toward that and he started praying even more God I'm on I'm gonna have to try I'm gonna have to try to to jump 15 feet and he said you know nobody can jump straight up 15 feet never heard of anybody doing that 
But he got almost to that branch, and then he decided to take the leap, and he leaped, but he missed the branch. But they said he caught it on the way back down. <laughs> you know, we're motivated. Motivated to do those things we never thought we could do. Well... This morning, I want us to look at Paul. Paul is one of the greatest soul winners that you'll find in the Bible next to Jesus Christ. And so we want to learn what motivated Paul, what drove him, what pushed him to be a soul winner. Now, if you've never been a soul winner, you need to listen real close. But if you have been a soul winner, we need to listen real close because there's something in this for all of us. And I'm going to list uh, five or six motivations that Paul gives in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that motivated him to be a soul winner. First one, if you're taking notes, you have the soul winner's compulsion. Soul winner's compulsion. What's the driving force of being a soul winner? What's the driving force of leading someone to Christ? What compelled him to be a soul winner? Somebody said, well, Paul, why did you work so hard in, in winning people to Christ? Look at chapter, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 and look at verse 9. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you work to get to heaven. It's not what he's speaking of. Paul says, I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. Another word for pleasing, some translations might have, I want to be acceptable to the Lord. I want God to be pleased with me. Paul said, I want God to be pleased with me. That's why he was willing to win souls. So the point is, if you're not, if you're not trying, if you're not attempting, if you're not seeking to bring souls to God, you're really not pleasing to God. Really not. You're not acceptable to God. Regardless how, much, you know, regardless how much you attend church, regardless how much money you give, regardless um, you know, how much you read your Bible and do all these studies and do this and do that, if you're not seeking, if you're not trying to bring souls to God, you're not pleasing, you're not acceptable to God. Remember that. Remember, regardless who you tried to please, if you displease God, you're a complete failure. Regardless of what you do in life and how you spend your life, and regardless of who you're trying to please, your boss, your wife, your family, your neighbor, yourself, if you don't please God in life, you're a complete failure. The whole purpose is to be acceptable by God, to be pleasing to Him. Andrew Murray said this, he says, there are two classes of Christians, the soul winners and the backsliders. Paul says the reason that I work so hard is that I'm compelled to be acceptable to God. That's why I win souls. The compulsion, I'm being compelled because I want to be pleasing to God. I want to be acceptable unto God. And I know He wants me to win souls and I'm going to do my best to win souls, to be acceptable of Him. Number two, if you're jotting these down, 
you have a soul winner's compensation. Soul winner's compensation. You see, there's a day coming. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So there's, there's a day coming when we're going to be compensated for winning souls. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is different from the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, we'll look at that in just a moment, is for the Christians to stand, and it's not to determine where you're saved or lost, but it's to, ter- it's to determine the rewards that you will have, you will receive. However, on the, on the, on the uh, great white throne, that's where the unbeliever stands before God, and their destiny has already been sealed, just like the Christian's destiny has already been sealed. And so the judgment seat of Christ is different from that great white throne judgment where the unsaved appear. The judgment seat also referred to in the Greek as the bema. The bema. The bema seat. The bema. It was just a raised platform in the middle of the Olympic field and the runners would come and they would receive, they'd come to that platform and they would receive the reward for winning the race or they, at the same time, would be disgraced for not winning the race. And then those that won the race, there'd be a laurel wreath, flowers and ivory and, and other types of you know, wildflower. A beautiful wreath would be laid, placed on the head of those who excelled and who won the race. But it withered away after a while. But we're compensated as we win souls for Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn back there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 24 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for a, an imperishable crown. That laurel wreath that the, the, uh, the athletes would win, it would perish. Paul says if you want to get a crown, you have to train. You have to run with all your might. You have to overcome all of those things that would hinder you, then you would be presented a crown. Not a crown that will wither away, but a crown of righteousness and a, a soul winner's crown. Have you, have you ever come to the place that you realize that one day that you're going to stand before God and you're going to receive a crown if you're a soul winner? Think of that. I mean, you won't receive a corruptible crown because that wreath will it'll just wither away, but we'll receive an imperishable crown of glory. And the judgment seat, this judgment seat will be a reward for some and it'll be a disgrace for others. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. Look at that. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now listen. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones and wood and hay and straw, it's talking about what you build your life on. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare. What day is that? The day you stand at that judgment seat. It will, be, it will declare it because it will, it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he's built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. God's looking, see, God's looking for, he's looking for quality, not so much quantity. See, you, you want to make sure you're building out of good stuff, not wood, hay, and stubble, because it's going to be tested with fire, and that's just going to be consumed. But you build your life on what will pass that test, gold and precious stones, the things that are important. So the point is, this tells us why Paul labored. He labored because of this compulsion to please the Lord. He labored because of the compensation. So just picture one of these days, your life and my life is going to be in review, total review, one day before the Lord. From day one to the day he calls us home or, or he comes to get us. Our whole life will be reviewed. And if you're a soul winner, your life will be silver, gold, and precious stones. If not, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And the point is, your works, your life, will be tested by fire. Years ago, Lonnie Freeman preached a sermon at a brotherhood breakfast here at the church. It's probably, oh my goodness, 40 years ago now. And I never will forget his sermon. He preached standing before God on a pile of ashes taken from this verse. Spend your whole life with nothing to give to the Lord. And then when, you're, when your life is tested, it just goes to ashes. But a soul winner builds out of silver and, and precious stones. So if, you, if, a, if a soul winner, if you're a soul winner, you all have that solid life. If not, your life's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And the point is, your works will be tested by fire. And so just picture yourself standing before the judgment seat of, of Christ and ask yourself, am I going to be satisfied when that day comes? Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, says this. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You believe, a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in rewards. Well, Revelation 22, 12 says Christ is going to be given rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 8. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 8. If I can find it. Have it on the screen. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. You're going to be standing before the judgment seat to receive rewards. 
You want to have wood, hay, and stubble? Nothing. Life built on nothing. Just in heaven. Just in heaven. Some people say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to be glad to be in heaven. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're going to be in heaven as though by fire just you're going to be cinched as you go into heaven. Nothing to give to the Lord Jesus. No reward. So the point is, the point is, all of us are not going to be the same standing before the judgment seat. Some I have treasures laid up in heaven. So the judgment seat's a time for reward. But it'll also be a time for regret for some. Some will be cinched as though by fire. They'll be saved. You see, our, our building today and people who are viewing and people who are listening to so many people filled with people whose lives are just wood, hay, and stubble. Nothing to offer the Lord. No soul to bring to the Lord. So how sad it is for anyone to stand before the Lord and never win a soul to Jesus. Reminded me of a song we used to sing. It's not in our hymnal now. I wish it was. The chorus goes like this. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet Him. Must I empty-handed go? I heard about this preacher. He was called to the deathbed of one of his members. And, and this member, true story, this member was a worker in the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention. And he was on his deathbed. And the pastor came in and he said, uh, he said, Pastor, he said, I know that I'm saved. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm saved. I'm not afraid to die but I'm ashamed to die because I haven't been a soul winner. Can you imagine standing before Christ and never, never, never trying to bring one person to Jesus? Paul says, this is why I work so hard. This is what compels me. I want to please my Lord. I want to be acceptable by Him. And one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat and I want to receive that soul winner's reward. Third, jot this down. The, sinners, the soul winner's conviction. Saw this, if you will, back in verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciousness. Paul says, listen, I, I, I win souls because of the conviction of the terror of the Lord. And he said, because of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul knew what it meant for a soul to die unredeemed, unsaved, going out into eternity without Jesus Christ. That terrified him for that to happen. If anyone tells you, that they, they don't believe in hell, or if anyone teaches or preaches that there's not a hell, that's a false prophet. There is a hell. The Bible, is the Bible a joke? 
No, the Bible's no joke. It, it speaks several times of hell. Is the Bible a joke? No, it's not a joke. Is Jesus Christ a deceiver? Because Jesus Christ, Mark chapter, Mark chapter 9, look at that just for a moment. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 44. He says, if, verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than to have two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Is there a hell? Sure. There's a hell. There's a hell. There's a heaven. If there's no hell, Calvary was a mistake. Why did Jesus come and die on the cross if there wasn't a hell? Why did Jesus die on that cross anyway? To save us from hell. So the question is, if there's no hell, how can there be a heaven? The same Bible that tells us of hell tells us of heaven. And Paul said, I'm motivated, I'm compelled to be a soul winner because of the terror of the Lord, because of the judgment seat of God, because I want to please my Lord. And then he says this, number four. He was motivated to be a soul winner because of his compassion. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 13 through 15. Back at our text. Verse 13 says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it's for you. See, they were thinking Paul's insane. They're thinking he's a little crazy because he was... So sowed on Jesus and the crucifixion and salvation and winning people. So he says, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. Or if we are a sound mind, it's for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he, if he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So he says, if we're beside ourselves, if we're insane, Paul says the love of Christ, the love for Christ constrains us, compels us. So Paul's speaking out of compassion. How can we love Christ and not love souls that he died for? It's, it's not that you... That you, that you love souls, that's true. We do love souls, but we also love Jesus. Jesus told Peter what? He says, if you love me, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And so you feed the sheep, you win the lost, you share the gospel because you love Christ, but you also lo love the lost. So the point is, we're to win souls because we love Jesus. Number five, the soul winner's confidence. Look at verse 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. You need to underline that. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, as though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the point is, if I lead a soul to Christ, he's going to be a new creature. He's going to be a new creation. Paul said, I regard no man after the flesh. I don't care if they're rich or poor. I don't care if they're educated or uneducated. I don't regard any person in regards to the flesh. I don't care if they're weak. I don't care if they're strong. I don't care if they're famous. I don't care if they're non-famous. I, I don't regard any person in regards to the flesh. That's all the flesh. So the point is, he says, I see them as a soul for which Christ died. Regardless what they look like, folks, on the outside, they have a soul on the inside of them that Christ died for. And so don't look at the appearance. Don't look at the flesh, or you'll never witness to some people. Don't think of, see through the flesh and think of the soul that person ha has that's going to live for eternity. That's what you have to be concerned about. The point is we have this confidence that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He may look different. He may look the same on the outside, but something's happened to him on the inside. So don't regard people by the flesh. They have a soul. And once God touches that soul and changes that soul, they may look the same on the outside. But God touches that soul, and they're changed on the inside. Here's the problem. The problem I really believe in so winning is that we see people according to the flesh. That's what we do. But remember, those up and outs, those down and outs, you stop seeing people according to the flesh. We need to see every person as potential brothers and sisters in Christ. That person may not look what I think they need to look on the outside, but that's a potential brother or potential sister that I need to share the gospel with. And then you share the gospel with them. Number six, and I'll close with this. So the soul, wi the soul winner's commission. Look at verse 18. It's there in verses 18, 19, and 20. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He has, he has committed to us the ministry of of reconciliation. Did you know you were, you were put in ministry when you were saved? Yeah. You were given a ministry. Eric, we're talking about that. You're given a ministry. What's my ministry? To reconcile others to the Lord Jesus. That's your ministry. That's my ministry. You've been called a ministry. The ministry, verse 19 says, to, of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When you go out and share the gospel, you are pleading 
to that person. Notice what he says. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Be reconciled. We implore you to be reconciled on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So the point is we've been reconciled to God. God's brought us to himself. But we've not, you know, we've not been saved just to, to sit around. We are ministers of reconciliation, trying to get people reconciled to God. Verse 20 says, we're heavenly ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Ambassador is someone who represents, who represents the king of a different country. So we're ambassadors. We're somebody. God has appointed us as his ambassadors, not just the preacher and the deacons. But if you're saved, you have been appointed as an ambassador for Jesus Christ to be, to be a person that will reconcile others to God. So we have, we have an answer that a lost world needs, a lost world that's dying and going to hell, and we have an answer, and it's time that we realize uh, where our fear comes from, and it's not from God, but it's from the evil one. So if... if if, uh, if you could ever understand that the power of God, and we'll talk about that tonight, the power of God that goes with you as a soul winner, it's, it's amazing to how God will use you if you'll just step out and go. What's going to motivate you to win souls? If you received $1,000 cash for every person that you led to Christ, would that make any difference in your life? If I say, okay, if, you, if you'll go out and lead someone to Christ, oh, I'll give you $1,000. I don't know, I'll have to think about that. See, it's really a matter of motivation. That's what it's a matter of. And so Paul shared six motivations for personal soul winning. I do this that I might be acceptable to him. I do this because I'm compensated at the judgment seat. I do this because I'm convinced of the terror of the Lord. I do this out of compassion for the Lord Jesus. I do this because of the confidence that God can change a person. And I do this because of my commission. I've been called as an ambassador of God. So as we close this morning, let me, let me just ask you to bow your heads for a moment. and We'll have prayer i want you to pray this morning everybody's head bowed and your eyes closed would you pray would you pray this oh god give me compassion for souls lord help me to be a soul winner lord Lay some soul upon my heart and win that soul through me. Now, pray that and really mean it. Well, why should I really mean that, Brother Sammy? Because one day you're going to stand before that judgment seat. And if you'll make an honest commitment today to be a soul winner, God will use you. And so it's time that some Christians perhaps just step out of your comfort zone, be obedient to the Lord. Just remember this, when you step out of your comfort zone, you're stepping into His comfort zone. 
if you're here today or you're viewing this by some other means, 150 years from now, it won't really matter if you made a million dollars or if you drove a nice car or if you graduated from college or you played in the Final Four or you played on a championship team in high school or college. That won't mean a thing. The only thing that will be important is that you trusted Jesus or you rejected Jesus. Mark Cahill, in his book, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, he tells how he met a young man, 19-year-old construction worker in Nashville. And this man hopped on a train and went to Nashville to see his girlfriend. He arrived there late one night. Mark and him sat and talked for a while. And he said, I got here the night before. Mark asked him, he said, where'd you sleep last night? He said, I slept on top of that high-rise building. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I'm a building, I'm a building jumper. I do that as a hobby. I jump from one high-rise to another in these large cities. I do that for the rush. Mark asked him, he said, have you ever missed? He said, well, once I jumped and I misjudged. And all I got on the other side, I just got my fingertips on the roof. And I was just left there hanging. But he said, I had enough energy to pull myself over the top. Mark asked him, he said, were you scared? He said, I, I was really scared. I was really scared. And after I read that in his book, I believe with all my heart that there are people, perhaps some here today, some listening, some watching, they're just hanging by their fingertips before they drop off into eternity without Jesus Christ. If you knew what was waiting for you, you would be scared. Every person comes to a point to they're just one step, one breath from eternity. We all reach that point where our strength can't pull us out of our predicament. And so this morning, as you hang by your fingertips, headed uh, into a godless eternity without Christ, at the same time you're hanging for your, from your fingertips, there's a nail-scarred hand that's reaching down for you to take hold of, for you to reach up to Him. And I pray today that you'll ask him to come into your life and save you. And Father, as, I, as we end this prayer, I pray again for every person here. And for those who have never trusted you, I pray, hanging by their fingertips, don't know when that time of death will come or when that last breath will be drawn. I pray today, Father, they'll step forward and trust you as Lord and Savior of their lives. I pray for Christians, perhaps for the first time, realize that we're called to be soul winners. And today they'll make a commitment to do the best they can to share Jesus with people that they meet every day. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation hymn. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.
Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website, Thank you, and may God bless you.